0: All right. hey, good morning. Good to be together, great to be together. And greetings again to those of you who are online with us this morning. It's good to be together in the way that we're able to be together. Uh, this is uh, the end of our series, Summer of Love. You know, uh, we've been talking about love in a lot of different ways this summer. It's Labor Day weekend, uh, the summer's over. Uh, uh, but it's time to move on uh, to a new thing. Uh, but as we move on, I, I hope that our extended study of love in the scriptures has been helpful for you, has been encouraging for you, has been challenging for you, that your well has been deepened, uh, that you will take things away from the things that we've talked about. Uh, more than that, uh, I hope that some things have been imprinted on not just your minds, but also your hearts, my heart. Um, Understanding that God is love, understanding that God loves you, understanding that God's desire is that his love be manifest in each of us and that it overflow to the world through us, through every aspect of our lives, uh, beginning in our minds, our hearts, and then our relationships and uh, in everything we do, all that we are, Uh, God is love. During uh, some of the recent weeks, we've talked about not only who to love, uh, for example, our enemies and betrayers within the body of Christ, Uh, people who are different, uh, difficult to love. We've talked not only about who to love, but also how to love, ways to love, ways that we can put into practice and live out uh, God's love. We've talked about sort of increasingly difficult, but good and beautiful ways that Jesus talks about love. This morning, we're gonna consider uh, love at its greatest, uh, the pinnacle of love, but a love which is fundamentally different than the loves that we normally see talked about and lived out and exemplified in the world. So in January of this year, 2023, uh, Rolling Stone magazine named its, uh, what it believes, its editorial board, the greatest singers of all times, the greatest singers of all times. And coming in at number two was none other than Whitney Houston. Yes, some Whitney Houston fans out there, maybe. I don't know if I would call that pretty light, pretty mild. Okay. Some Whitney Houston fans out there? I don't know. Uh, Randomly, who's number one? Anyone have any idea? According to Rolling Stone? Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin. Yeah, there you go. So out of all the songs Whitney Houston recorded, and she uh, sold more than 220 million records to date, the third best-selling of all of Whitney Houston's songs was a song called... The Greatest Love of All, very good, The Greatest Love of All. And here are some of the lyrics to that song. Sometimes we hear them and we don't really listen to the lyrics as much as to the music, but here are some of the lyrics uh, to that song. Everybody's searching for a hero, people need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfills my needs, a lonely place to be, and so I learned to depend on me. I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadows. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I'll live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. Because the greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. And I'm thinking to myself, and now I'm thinking with you out loud. That's it? That's it. Is that all there is? The greatest love of all is learning to love oneself. And There's nothing wrong with loving ourselves. I think we need to have good, healthy sort of uh, appreciation for who God made us. Yes, care for ourselves, uh, have good self-esteem. Uh, but Jesus, in contrast, talks about the greatest love of all in a completely different way. So uh, we'll read that in just a moment. First, let's pray. God, you are the source of love. You are love. You're the furnace of love. Uh, You are uh, the one who loves uh, more and better and purely. You are the king of love. Your kingdom is about love. Help us to be shaped this morning by the words of your son, uh, Jesus, as he uh, not only talked about love, but modeled love. We ask that you would help us to move beyond trying uh, to embracing and being uh, immersed in. We ask that you would do within us things that we can't do for ourselves. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly and forever forgotten. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So last Sunday morning, we picked up the story of Jesus in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. It was just before Passover festival. Jesus and the disciples were in an upper room getting ready for the meal. As the meal was being served, Jesus gets up from the table. He takes a basin. He pours water into the basin. And then he goes around and takes the position of the lowliest servant in the household, washing each of his disciples' feet, including the feet of Judas, who had already agreed to betray him. You remember this. In the wake of that action and toward the end of the chapter, Jesus spoke these words, still in that same upper room, same context, context same group of people. Or, or let me read first what we read last Sunday. Jesus, after, just after washing his disciples' feet, says a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now fast forward to chapter 15. Jesus still with his disciples, same room, same context, same group of people, he says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And the sense here is not that if you keep his commands, that he will then continue to love you. As much as no, uh, Jesus was not dangling his love for people, dependent on their behavior, obvious from Judas. Jesus' love for his disciples was not up for discussion, it was not up for debate, it was not up for doubt, it was not in doubt, it will not be withheld. Jesus wasn't like that, God isn't like that. Rather, as Jesus said, and we must take his words in their plainest and simplest meaning, if a person keeps his commands regarding love, that person will remain anchored in Jesus' love and His enterprise of love, that person will remain immersed in His love. The person will participate in the loving and the loving enterprise of God in Christ. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. That's how it happens. It's not a threat. As the Father has loved me, so have I, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as my Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy is part of the the equation. It may be a product. It may be a byproduct. Joy is a part of this equation. Verse 12, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. Here it comes, Whitney. Here it comes. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if, I, if you do what I command. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus' emphasis here seems to be not so much on the friends, but on the laying down of one's life. For friends, for enemies, for whoever. For the betrayers, for the difficult to love people, it's about laying down one's life. And while laying down one's life may sound, I mean, we just kind of read right by it. We have heard those words before. We read right by it. It might sound simple enough. Who does that? Who does that? To lay down one's life means to hand it over. It means to give it up. It means to let it go. It means to surrender control. If you're like me, you like to retain control. It means to hand over the keys, to hand over the checkbook. It means to gift one's life, everything that one's life is, to gift it to someone else and for someone else, which goes against so many of our instincts and our impulses. We have things we want to do ourselves. How many of you have a bucket list of some sort? A few, a lot of us, actually. We have bucket lists. We have lists of things we want to do. We have places we want to travel, things we want to see, things we want to do. Mountains we want to climb, goals that we want to achieve, things that we want to buy, people that we want to meet, on and on. And Jesus is talking about the greatest manifestation of love being not seeking things for oneself, but giving oneself away. And this fits neither with my instincts or my upbringing, maybe neither with your instincts or impulses or your upbringing. It is not the message of the world. But what exactly did Jesus mean by laying down one's life? Did he mean martyrdom? Did he mean literal death? Maybe for some, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote, when Jesus calls a person, he bids that person come and die. Maybe Jesus meant literal death, literal martyrdom, literally giving away one's living, one's bodily respiration in faithfulness to Jesus and witness to him. Maybe this has been the case for tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of Christians over the last 2,000 years. But what Paul wrote at the beginning of chapter 12 of his letter to the Romans suggests that offering of our lives as living sacrifices may not normally mean physical death, but rather the handing over of our lives as our lives, as our living to others for their sake, to bless others in and through, not our death as much as through our living, our daily lives, our calendar lives, our 24 hours, our 168 hours, our years to lay down one's life may mean physical death but it may also more often mean voluntarily being committed to a way of life that is not so much not so much for me but for others examples might include a parent who works two jobs and has no social life and no hobbies in order to provide for a child or The retired engineer who two days a week drives 30 miles to the ID center where to help, he helps other homeless people, drug addicts, ex-cons, and other hopeless souls to navigate the complex world of getting a government-issued ID, which is the beginning of all things in our society. If you don't have one, you're nowhere, you're lost, you're hopeless, rather than playing another round and another round of golf at the club. Or it's an older sibling who chooses to work rather than go to college to get that advanced degree in order to support a younger sibling just making it through high school. Or it's someone choosing to live simply so that others may simply live. It is maybe sponsoring one or two or three children through a a relief and development agency in the third world so that kids can just have food on the table. It is the adult child who sets aside opportunities to travel in order to care for an aging parent or the giving up of things on one's bucket list, or the giving up of one's entire bucket list. Here's the bucket. In order to care for a friend who has cancer and has no family or financial means to have care in their home on a regular basis. It is my friend Pam who instead of the American dream and prospects of getting married and making a stable income with her college degree instead moved to Turkey where she has invested her entire life for the last 25 years in the nascent church and the struggling church and the underground church, specifically with college students, hoping and praying that another generation of young people in that country will hear and know the love of God in Jesus. Or it's my friend Leroy, who for 30 years was the loving superintendent of the Vera Lloyd Presbyterian Children's Center in Little Monticello, Arkansas where for 30 years he shepherded dozens and dozens and dozens of young girls who had no parents and had no home. To lay down one's life may mean physical death, but it may also more often mean being voluntarily committed to a way of life that is not so much for me, but for others. And I say voluntarily quite intentionally. The laying down of one's life of which Jesus speaks is not something that is done out of coercion or manipulation or pressure or guilt in response to a sermon or duty. That would not be love, that would be something else. The laying down of one's life is to be done freely, willingly, gladly, generously, and with no strings or expectations or demands attached at all. And I actually wanna be super clear about this dimension of what Jesus is talking about here. Some of us us get pressured into doing things. Maybe it's an external pressure, maybe it's an internal pressure from ourselves. We feel pressured into doing things that we really don't wanna do. We get pushed around emotionally or relationally. We feel pressure from other people to do the right thing or to be the hero or we do something because we should do it, the voice says, or we ought to do it or we must do it because it's the right thing to do or the proper thing to do or the noble thing to do or the admirable thing to do or the expected thing to do. We may appear to lay down our lives, but what's really going on is that due to guilt or weakness or some sort of external or internal pressure, we allow ourselves to be walked on and to be pushed into something that we really don't want to do. And that is not what Jesus was talking about, not. Rather, Jesus envisioned a person laying down his or her life freely with a free will of a person's own accord out of the abundance and overflow of God's love within a person. Motivated by love, motivated by this deep, inner, pure, sincere desire to do what's good and best for another person. It's a whole different ballgame. From a little book uh, by Anne Lamott, She writes, and I shared this once before. Here's the best story I know on giving. And it was told by Jack Cornfield of the Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Woodacre. An eight-year-old boy had a younger sister who was dying of leukemia, and he was told that without a blood transfusion, she would die. His parents explained to him that his blood was probably compatible with hers, and if so, he could be the blood donor. They asked him if they could test his blood. He said sure, so they did, and it was a good match. Then they asked if he would give his sister a pint of blood, that it could be her only chance of living. He said he would have to think about it overnight. The next day he went to his parents and said he was willing to donate the blood, so they took him to the hospital where he was put on a gurney beside his six-year-old sister. Both of them were hooked up to an IV. A nurse withdrew a pint of blood from the boy, which was then put in the girl's IV. The boy lay on his gurney in silence while the blood dripped into his sister until the doctor came over to see how he was doing. Then the boy opened his eyes and asked, how soon until I start to die? How soon until I start to die? And then from the pages of history, there's a woman named Amy Carmichael. She was born in a small village in Ireland in 1867 as the oldest of seven children in the mid-1880s while she was still a teenager. Amy started a Sunday morning gathering for girls in her community. They met in the fellowship hall of Rosemary Street Presbyterian Church. This gathering grew quickly to several hundred girls, attendees. Amy then led a drive to build an even bigger hall that could hold 500 girls, people, which became known as Welcome Hall. At the Keswick Convention in 1887, a kind of missions conference, she heard the great missionary Hudson Taylor speak and she sensed a call to the mission field and specifically to Asia. She began training for such under the auspices of Hudson Taylor's China Inland Mission, though along the way it was determined that her health disqualified her from that work. She responded by seeking support from another missions organization. Instead, the Church Missionary Society, under their oversight, Carmichael traveled to Japan, staying for 15 months before returning to home for health reasons, but she didn't give up. After a brief period of service in Ceylon, now Sri Lanka, Carmichael went to Bangalore, India, which was deemed to be more suitable for her health challenges, and there she chose to stay and continue her work as a missionary having then been commissioned by the Church of England. Carmichael's most notable work was with girls and young women, some of whom were rescued even 100 years ago from customs that amounted to forced prostitution, today we call it sex trafficking. In 1901, Carmichael founded the Don Houtenauer Fellowship which eventually became a sanctuary for over 1,000 children. Carmichael often said that her ministry of rescuing temple children started with a girl named Prina. Having become a temple servant against her wishes, Prina managed to escape. Amy Carmichael provided her shelter and withstood the threats of those who insisted that the girl be returned to the temple directly to continue her to continue her sexual assignments or at least to her family for a more indirect return to the temple. The number of such indigent girls soon grew, thus becoming Amy Carmichael's new ministry. In an attempt to res- respect Indian culture, members of the Don Fellowship wore Indian attire and gave the rescued children Indian names. Carmichael herself dressed in native Indian attire and actually dyed her skin darker with dark coffee beans. Against many odds, Carmichael went on to serve in India for a 55 years until her passing at the age of 83. Well into those years, Carmichael received a letter from a young woman back in England who was considering life as a missionary, and she asked Carmichael in her letter, what is missionary life like? To which Amy Carmichael replied, missionary life is simply a chance to die, a chance to die. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love, Whitney, has no one in this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And as you know, these were not mere words for Jesus. They were his mission. Jesus said in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Listen to this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. God in Christ didn't become, come to us because he had to, but because he wanted to. God in Christ did not die in our place on the cross because he had to, but because he wanted to out of this overwhelming wellspring of love to want and to will and to be committed to the good of another, the blessing of another. Jesus didn't lay down his life for us and for the world reluctantly, half-heartedly or with reservations as I often do many things. But instead he did so in love, with love, through love for all of us broken and messed up and sometimes belligerent, helpless, hopeless people who apart from him are like sheep without a shepherd and remain in our sin and into his life and into his love, into his life and into his love he invites us and all people where we are not only blessed in his love and the benefits thereof, but we are also immersed in such and invited to embody such in him through God's grace experiencing joy along the way in such. The joy that goes with that, the joy that's integrally a part of that in Christ, with Christ, and through Jesus Christ. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete or whole or arrived. Greater love has no one than this, and that he lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. God, for the gift of your laying down yourself in Jesus for us and for our neighbors and for our enemies and for the world, We have awe and gratitude, and we ask that you would increase in us awe and gratitude, that you would humble us by your goodness and that your joy would overflow in us and through us. You've been far better to us than we deserve. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.